The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is our monthly coaching call. This is Frank Congelos, your host. And our guest today is Michael Kanarek, attorney at law at Kanarek and Kanarek. And Michael, you know, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. It's always great to see you. And how are you? Doing well, Frank. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, your area of expertise is estate planning. And over the course of the last several years, we've seen a lot of changes. You know, we've seen federally the tax rates, you know, go down or go up to where, you know, most people don't have a real taxable estate. It's a very small percentage of population. New Jersey has changed. And we know that as of next year, that's going to be a little bit different. So maybe we could just start a little conversation of what are you seeing nowadays around the estate planning? You know, is it not really to tax anymore? What are you hearing more or less nowadays? Yeah, I think there's been a shift from a focus on tax planning to a focus on non-tax issues, such as protection, control, coordination of, uh, of non-probate assets with, with a probate plan. Um, we could talk more about that. I'm, I'm talking about things like that passed by beneficiary designations, such as life insurance policies or uh, retirement accounts. Uh, many times those assets don't get coordinated with somebody's estate plan. So, uh, you know, one of the big mistakes that I always pick up on is when someone has a plan, maybe they're setting up trust for their children, but yet their children are named as direct beneficiaries on these assets. And how do we coordinate that with the actual plan? So more on the estate planning of what we're seeing more often now is the coordination and, you know, does the actual plan work in itself? Because assets, you know, when you say non-probate, you know, maybe we'll explain that for our listeners. Maybe just a quick overview. How do assets pass? Yep. So, yeah, so there's, there's probate assets and there's non-probate assets. Probate assets, which would be assets owned in someone's individual name, like a brokerage account, a bank account, a home, that kind of thing. Those will, those will pass through somebody's will, assuming they have a will. Uh, if they don't have a will, then they pass pursuant to uh, New Jersey state law. Um, that doesn't mean they pass to the state. They just pass pursuant to state law. Um, and then there's other assets that pass outside of someone's will such as a life insurance that passes uh, by a beneficiary designation, retirement accounts passed by beneficiary designation, jointly held assets pass to the surviving joint tenant. Um, so there, there's a distinction between those things, and a lot of times people will write a will reflecting their intentions of how they want all of their assets to pass when, in fact, all of their assets don't pass pursuant to that will. That's a great insight. And, you know, it's interesting is, you know, as I visit with clients nowadays, you know, I always say your clients tend to look like you over time, which is, you know, me being in my 50s and so forth, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like they start having grown children, now they start having grandchildren, and all of a sudden the way that we view the world changes a little bit. And so as we think about that, we think in terms of, you know, we call it the term, there are unfriendly creditors out there. And so an unfriendly creditor could be a variety of things. Maybe you should just talk a little bit about that and how people are, you know, thinking about protecting against these creditors. Yeah. So, so with with the uh, loss of the tax issue being a big thing, I think people are more focused on on non tax issues such as creditor protection and asset protection. Um, so, the manner in which we leave assets to children uh, is very important. So, for example, I think a lot of times 
uh, wills are set up to leave assets when to children when they're younger in, in some kind of trust. But now that the children are adults, the, the document would say that they don't go in a trust, that they go directly to the child because the, the worry about the child not being able to be uh, able to manage those assets or be responsible enough uh, disappear. However, um, when we have assets in our own name, you know, they're potentially subject to the claims of creditors. They're potentially subject to the claims of, of divorce. Now, in, in theory, inherited assets aren't subject uh, to being split up in a divorce. However, that only applies if they're not commingled. Many times, you know, one spouse will inherit an asset and then put it in a joint account or buy a joint piece of property with their spouse, and, and then the protection is lost. So I, I'm starting to uh, advise more and more people to not leave assets directly uh, to their children, but instead put them in, in trust that will protect those assets, not only from divorce, but also from lawsuit, from creditors, if a child has a creditor issue, you know, things like that. And, you know, Mike, as you're saying that, it's one of those that also um, el eliminates what I call the awkward conversation, which is, you know, if you get an inheritance and it's like, oh, no, honey, I want to put that in my account. You know, it's like, what? You know, it's like, what's going on here? So, you know, utilizing that trust, you know, you, you're not putting anybody in an awkward spot. Yeah, exactly right. Um, also, uh, similar, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, someone inherits a bunch of money from their parents and that would cause them to want to do a prenuptial agreement. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas now the fact that the assets are held in trust, you know, that we don't have to worry as much about that prenuptial agreement. It's a great insight. So, Mike, what are, you know, nowadays the documents that people should be making sure that they have in place? Because, you know, it's like, Anything else? So as time goes on, you know, we we do our estate planning. Some people they put it off a little bit. What are the, what are the essentials? And then let's talk a little bit about how often should they be updated? Sure. I mean, I think the essential package of estate planning documents really hasn't changed. You know, generally speaking, I'll always do three documents when I sit down with a client. I'll always do their will. I'll always do their power of attorney, and I'll always do a living will. You know, healthcare proxy appointment. Here in uh, New Jersey, we don't do a, a ton of revocable trusts that, that could be an essential part of, uh, of an estate planning package in some other states where probate is a bigger issue. In New Jersey, probate is less of an issue, so, so we don't see a ton of revocable trusts, although that could be a fourth um, document that's essential to an estate planning package. Um, but to me, the big three here in New Jersey would be the will, the power of attorney, and the living will slash uh, health care proxy appointment. What about what we're seeing nowadays also that as people are getting a little bit older, um, they're picking up second residences. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll do Florida and then they'll try to do six months in a day. And for people that are, you know, thinking along that or they're owning property in different states, what should they be looking at? Yeah. So, so first of all, if, you, if your residence changes, and, and like you said, a lot of people might look to change a residence to Florida because of their favorable income tax uh, advantages. Um, you should potentially look to redo documents in that state. Um, documents done in New Jersey will still be valid if you move to another state, but just because they're valid doesn't make them the best possible document that you can have. So, for example, I know that if you become a Florida resident, you're most likely going to want to avoid probate, and you would probably want to add a revocable trust um, to your estate plan. So I always think it's wise uh, if you're going to um, change your place of residence to speak to a, uh, a highly qualified estate planning attorney in that state to determine whether your existing documents uh, will uh, 
cover all basis or if there's other suggestions on, on what to add uh, given that you're in a new state. Great. And then what about, um, Mike, with regard to, um, you know, think in terms of like uh, adult children and so forth. As their documents are done, and when I say, um, let's say the parents' documents are done and you've got adult children and so forth, do you have to plan for the grandchildren in those documents as well, even though they don't, might not have any yet? What are you doing there? So are we, are we, are we talking about what does the grandparent do for the grandchildren? Or in other words, if, child? If, let's say that I have children that don't have children yet. Yeah. Okay. What are you putting in trust in order to plan for that? Yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing is the um, type of trust that I spoke about earlier that would protect children from divorce, from the claims of creditors, from lawsuit, et cetera also work very well in transferring assets down from generation to generation. So in other words, a grandparent can set up this document that leaves the assets in trust for the benefit of a child. And then that document would state that upon the child's death, whatever that grandparent had passed to that child in this trust will then flow down to his or her children, the, you know, the grandchildren of the original uh, maker of the document. If it turns out that that child has no children, then the trust could call for uh, transfer to the other children, the siblings of the child, um, or the other children of the original maker of the document. Great. And the reason why I bring that up, Mike, is I know from time to time when I talk to people about doing their documents, one of their concerns is, you know, well, Frank, you know, if I plan it for my kids and so forth, how do I make sure it stays in the family? And so by doing these types of trusts, inside of their wills, they can plan for that and it could be all protected so that they don't have to worry. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the concern would be, right, I pass assets to my child and now my child dies, leaves assets to their spouse, and then in theory, the spouse would leave them back to the kids. But what if they remarry? But what if they remarry? Got it. Um, you know, we, we just never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, uh, using these trusts to provide the protection also provide that the assets must remain inside of the family. Great insight. And then the last thing I'd, I'd want to bring up is once they have the documents done, Mike, what should they be doing with regard to other arrangements? And when I say other arrangements is like life insurance, uh, the title on the house, the title on the brokerage accounts, things of that nature. Um, because I see from time to time, it's like, you know, and you mentioned before probate, non-probate assets and so forth. And a lot of times somebody will get a will done, but they don't deal with anything else. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we sort of touched on this before, you know, on a, on a grand scale, but um, you know, specifically, what are we talking about? So, you know, for example, let, let's say let's say I'm in a second marriage. OK. And my plan is that I'm going to uh, leave assets uh, to a trust for the benefit of my new wife so that I can assure that the money goes back to my children at the at the death of the new wife well that's great to lay that out in the will but if your home is jointly owned with the new wife then your will really doesn't come into play the, the, the home is going to pass directly to the new wife and she does not have to leave it back to the, the the children if the life insurance specifically just names your new spouse as beneficiary then the the trust that you wanted to set up doesn't come into play. The money just goes directly to the, to the spouse. So um, so we're talking about um, you know what 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 does the title on, on all your assets read? What what's what's the deed read if we're talking about real estate? 
What's the account title if we're talking about brokerage assets? Um, if we're talking about beneficiaries, you know, let's look at the life insurance beneficiary designation. Are we just naming spouse directly when we really want to leave it to a trust? Are we naming kids directly when we really want to leave it to a trust? Same with the retirement accounts. Those are beneficiary designated. So we need to look at titling and beneficiary designations and make sure it's all coordinated with what we want. So, Mike, you said something that I see often is a flaw in a lot of plans. And when I say that is it's in particular around the area of life insurance, which is um, very common and acceptable when they name a spouse. But then all of a sudden when it comes to the kids, in the will it'll say it'll go in trust for the kids, but then I've seen where they name the kids outright in the life insurance, or they'll name um, Aunt Susie as a beneficiary thinking that Aunt Susie's going to take care of the kids. And maybe you should just address um, how that actually works. Does Aunt Susie have to put it over for the benefit of the kids? If the kids are named, does it go through the trust? What actually happens when it's not coordinated? Or Yeah, I see both of those scenarios all the time. Um, and, and it's a potentially a major mistake. Um, you know, again, naming the kids directly, we'll get the money to the kids directly. If they are minors, then the court will hold up the money in some kind of court-appointed trust, and when the parent or the guardian tries to access the money, they have to go through the courts, and it's a major process and nightmare. When you name your sibling because you want that sibling to watch the money for the, the kids, this Aunt Susie example, the money goes to Aunt Susie. Yeah, in theory, you're hoping that she's going to you know use it on behalf of the kids, but she doesn't have to. The legal title is in Aunt Susie's name. The money at Aunt Susie's death will go pursuant to Aunt Susie's will, not where the kids go. The, the beneficiary of these assets should be the trust, of which Aunt Susie might be the trustee, but specifically the beneficiary needs to be the trust, not the kids directly and not Aunt Susie directly. That's a great insight. So for all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth and our guest today, and we thank you, Michael Kanarek of Kanarek & Kanarek, Attorneys at Law in Wall Township, New Jersey. And this has been Frank Congelos. We wish you all a great month, and we look forward to being with you next month. Have a great day. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.